Hello and welcome to today's episode of Dr. Simone's Mindspace. I'm incredibly happy to be back in New York in um, the studio actually, or the office on 40th Street between 5th Avenue and Madison Avenue together with my very dear colleague, mentor and friend Fritz. Dr. Fritz has a radio channel and it's been the inspiration for my podcast. So um, you've heard him before on the podcast and this is now another another episode of us talking together. And um, yeah, welcome everyone and welcome Fritz, of course, back on, on the podcast. And let's dive right into our today's topic that is hopefully going to be light and heavy at the same time so um, we'll see where we where we go from here but yeah so happy to be here oh and welcome welcome to to my office um um, our office because we've talked about you kind of listing this as your u.s address and um, when you're in town and we're hoping to do some more work together on various projects and uh, we we were just having some coffee for those of you listening to us right now we were just having some coffee we talked about what we're going to talk about during this podcast today um, and uh, what came to mind was a conversation I was having with somebody earlier in the day which was about life after the pandemic mm. and how these past two almost now three years have impacted us in particular I thought we would focus on life after the pandemic as we come out of the pandemic in relation to the work we do or attitudes toward traveling and commuting our attitudes towards being in workspaces our attitudes about collaborating with other people right. both within our own companies within our own cultures and you know and you're international so we talk a little about cross-border right? yeah. collaboration right so um that's to get us started yeah and i think you're raising something very important because everyone has been so so focused on the physical part of the pandemic mitigating disease and and transmission of of covid and not really that much focusing on the actual long-term consequences that i'm not talking about long covid but i'm talking about more the mental well-being of people and the culture shifts within countries within companies but also across borders that we've seen so that's a that's a lot to unpack Um, yeah um, i thought we would focus too on um, just our mind space yeah Our, our mentality as we relate to one another we were riding in an elevator on the way up to the office just now and um the elevator had one person in it and then you and i got into it and now an elevator that we used to stuff with five six people seven people the next person about to get into the elevator decided not to get into the elevator right and if this had happened before the whole pandemic i might have as a black man in the united states might have thought oh one of the reasons they're not getting in the elevator is maybe they don't want to be near me or it'd be about something else and now we have to do a whole new calculation right in our mind as to what 
that, that why didn't that person get in? And it might be for the most obvious reason. At this point, many people do not feel that the pandemic is over yet. Mm-hmm. That they feel like we're still still very much in it. We've got a ways to go. And some people feel like we're not there. But, you know, the figuring out what things mean. What are the new social norms? Is that person not getting into the elevator simply because they're respecting social distancing rules? Because for them it ain't over? Are they not getting into the elevator because they don't want to push up against us and make us feel like they're not respecting norms, even right. though they, may, they themselves might not right. care. Right. And you can think of experiences like that, these, these kind of micro experiences in everyday life we never had to think about. Now we're thinking about it. Yeah, and one th- thought I had was this sort of feeling of rejection that I think we've both probably experienced in the pandemic because of a new reason, not as you mentioned, um, this person not wanting to enter the elevator because you're black or um, somebody not wanting to, to work with, with another person because of being afraid of having like whatever um, consequences of working with somebody um, that may be, but um, because of the pandemic, like mm-hmm. oh, you uh, people don't want to sit next to you because of feeling like, oh, you could have COVID. Right, um, and I, I can imagine people feeling uncomfortable with you because you've traveled across borders. You've come from, what country did you come from? No, I just come from Switzerland. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you've done international travel. Yeah. And, and, and we, we know from the experience of the last few years that it's been through travel. How That's how the virus gets here. Did you bring a new strain with you? I mean, who right. are you? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, something that had been so positive, usually, when you say you come from somewhere else, people used to be very positive, like, oh, wow, how interesting. Welcoming. I love this country or curious. And this curiosity had turned into something completely different. Right. Yeah. yeah, you would have been an interesting house guest a few years ago, but now, oh, was she? she's traveling on a plane. How long was the plane right? What, what country was she coming from? Right. International travel. Mm. It's a different world that we're in right now. Right. It's a different experience we're in right now. And I think as clinicians, you and I were also touching upon in our conversation in the coffee shop about the long-term residual effects, the PTSD, the trauma, and in a conversation earlier with one of my colleagues, we were talking about what might also start to become something we have to pay attention to, what may become a trend, is the kind of post-traumatic traumatic effects of all of this experience on us. How even Absolutely. though many of us, fortunately many of us, I mean, we didn't get sick, many of us didn't lose anybody in particular, but we had to have lived through the drill of the last couple of years. Right. And... Um, some of research coming out is that people who have been involved in ongoing drills, even active shooter drills like they do in schools to prepare children, staff, faculty in case there's an active shooter in in a school, they have them go through these active shooter drills and one of the things that they're starting to find out is that those active drills are traumatically affecting some of the people who are involved in it. This is quite Incredible, right? I would love to to um add a personal experience being traveling um during the pan- early phase of the pandemic, and what actually caused me to do research on PTSD during the pandemic. We've traveled to Hong Kong in the beginning of 
uh, January 2020 when um, on our flight we didn't have to wear masks but we were prepared we brought masks with us since we knew the uh, and gloves and everything and a lot of hand sanitizer since we knew that there were cases in China we didn't obviously as everyone else not know where it would go and once we arrived in Hong Kong everyone was wearing masks on the train um, in the city um, people were really really um, good in, in social distancing hand sanitizing and um, one evening we we walked around in in uh, central uh, hong kong and happened to pass by the sars memorial and you could see there signs of people very young 25 30 year old uh, medical doctor nurse helpers that died of sars so let me get the visual on this so you're you're in a city that has experienced um, epidemics before, so much so that there's a SARS memorial to all the people that have perished. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the city you're walking around, so just... Yes, exactly. And for those who do not know, Hong Kong has been hit really badly in, during the SARS uh, epidemic. So they had a lot of casualty related to SARS. And um, it, for me, was really I just realized this must be for them like a post-traumatic stress experience to have yet another at that time epidemic coming in and they were on hyper alert people um old people on the metro were um carrying like 10 um liter bags of rice and toilet paper rolls a lot of them and I was like why do these Even people in Hong do Kong, that? Even Hong Kong, they were doing the thing with the toilet paper. They start, huh? It started in Hong Kong because they were um, early in, in, this, in this whole pandemic with, with understanding this is maybe going to be something we've experienced before. So we may better prepare well. And I didn't realize why people were carrying this rice and toilet paper first because I thought like oh this is annoying for restaurants why do they carry it via the metro instead of just doing a delivery was my thought but then there was an article sharing this information that there was a whatsapp group that went viral about hoarding toilet paper Ah. and so for us experiencing this in Hong Kong it was not so surprising that this has happened then over and over in other parts of the world but for me the whole those experiences sounded to me like a behavior of somebody who has been going through a trauma before that they were ready and knowing what to do or knowing what to do just just sort of a behavior and led me to to do research on PTSD during the pandemic actually that's that's a really helpful anecdote. I'm gonna pause for a second to fix your microphone. It's dropping. <laughs> okay. okay. <gasps> Thank you. Get a little closer. <clears throat> Perfect. 
Do you edit yours too? Yeah. Okay. What What do you think about uh, hearing this? What might it? What's well, uh, interesting with that anecdote? So you you're walking through a city that has experienced um, an epidemic before. So they're no stranger to this happening. Right. Um, there's, you know, there's so many casualties in that history that they even have memorials um, mm. dedicated. So this culture has, is, is, is experience with this. And, and so when news of another epidemic happening occurs, um, you see some of the same trends we see saw here in the United States, which is people starting to hoard and, and, and grab on to, I guess, items, things that they feared would be in short necessity. Um, rice and mm-hmm. toilet paper. Um, not sure what the main other thing here was besides toilet paper. I think it was toilet pasta, paper. Pasta, right? Paper, you know, Which pasta, is, is similar to rice in a, another country. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and to to be to be fair, this is like a behavior that we see in wars as well, right? Yeah. So it's really a traumatic experience to feel like there could be a potential shortage of of something you really need. Right, and we 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 do we do regularly see this every year. If the newscasters say a uh, storm is coming, one of the first things you see go at the supermarket usually are some milk. Um, mm. things that people feel that they're going to need and and um, so the certain things at the, at the supermarkets that will run out um, which is something I've experienced when I lived here and I've never experienced before in my life that there is shortage in a supermarket I was like what's happening I didn't quite understand yeah yeah I mean one thing to remember is that most most supermarkets or a lot of our systems are utilized almost to the brink of um, perfection, right? Well, I would be great if it was perfection, but a lot of our services are utilized at, a, at, at only a minimal level. Mm. So if you have a, a certain level of uh, milk being purchased or hospital beds being used, hospitals are a better example of this. If there's a few percent increase in the demand for the hospital beds, if there's a few percentage increase in the demand for products at a supermarket, those places are going to run out. Mm. And so what the pandemic has shown is that if there is a run on something, it doesn't take much of a run for it there to all of a sudden be a problem and there be a shortage. Right, right. Um, that's really been with our hospital systems where if hospitals were at, I don't know, 70 or 80% capacity, all you would need to have happen is a, is a few percentages increase in the demand for certain services in the hospital, and all of a sudden they are at capacity and they cannot handle the demand. Mm-hmm. When we have that in our history, when we know that there are periods where things ran out, whether it was valid or not, if we have those, then when we know something is going to happen again, or we've been told something, or we fear something is going to happen again, like another virus it doesn't tend take much for people to be triggered. Right. Interesting thing is mm. that people are triggered in such different ways. There's right. no one size fits all. Mm. Some people may go in the other direction, while some people may get really worried and go run. Other people might be nonchalant and think it's, oh, it's nothing, oh, it's nothing, oh, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And we're definitely seeing this in 
um, our current environment. We can see it politically, right. um, um, in terms of people's attitudes. We can see it in, you go out to the public and you can see people wearing masks, people not wearing mm. masks. Um, there are people who are going to wear masks for years long after the mask mandates are re- mm-hmm. repealed. So, right. Right. Um, but what we know as clinicians is that trauma. Mm. Trauma is, is pervasive. PTSD is going to be a pervasive thing for us to look out for. Right. And for for looking at it from a more sort of broader perspective, what that means, not just for the individual, but also for our societies, is this public health measure of the global burden of disease. And the global burden of disease measures how much does an illness cost a society. And we do vastly underestimate the cost of mental health on the society. And this pandemic will cost a lot of global burden of disease burden because there's so many people suffering even if it's not massive suffering there is a clear increase in depression in anxiety in stress chronic stress fatigue out of that and obviously ptsd as well and those effects are going to not be short-term. They're right. going to be long-term. Like we saw in the United States after the Great Depression, for decades, if not even up until this time, people who lived through that time have certain ways of living their lives that were influenced by those periods. Right. And we, we've, If you go throughout history, you have certain historical events happening in the cultures of people who lived in those cultures thereafter they have a certain way of living and being that's affected by that exactly we're in the middle of it so it's we we have some ideas of what it's going to be but you and i were talking about how whatever it is we know something is going to happen right right and i think it's really important to to raise awareness of this because i think everyone has been so preoccupied by the the visual part, which is the sick person suffering from COVID physically, or to to shut borders, to not pass the, the virus on from one country to the other, to sort of try to create this f- picture image of the danger coming from the outside that we have not really been thinking about um, something that is not the firefighter mode but more like what if what how can we prevent or how can we actually intervene early before there is a huge fire we can we can continually work to talk about it raise awareness like we're doing um to be aware of the subtle sometimes often it's subtle ways that this these kinds of experiences are changing the way we live and I'm, I'm thinking about it from the perspective of no matter which side of the fence you are on right now because i know some people have told me they're not putting they're not taking off the mask until 2024 2025 and i've had other people who who taken that mask a long time ago but mm. everyone's going into this world like i've seen situations where the unmasked person walks into a room almost defiantly waiting mm-hmm. for somebody to say something. Well, that's mm-hmm. a change in how mm-hmm. they're experiencing and perceiving the world. 
that their lack of this visual manifestation of the of this what we've gone through they are denying it they're not wearing that mask they walk into a room they're kind of primed and ready for somebody to make a comment Mm. and then there are those others who are in that room who are experiencing them how are they experiencing them all of these effects are something we didn't have to deal with before the pandemic so true you know this is a new point of consideration new thing that we got to think about even if you're not trying to think about it it's still something that that you're needing to be aware of i agree and i think there another interesting part comes in which is the different cultures um around the world dealing with it in a very different way i've seen i've seen this now and i've experienced it myself how how um different ways of of different attitudes or different um measures that are currently um, put in place impact how you deal with mask wearing with all these other measures Um, for example Mm -hmm. just now i realized i'm more or less affair with the mask because in switzerland one week ago we got rid of all the measures like no more mandatory mask wearing it was exactly how here in New York until one week ago. And now we don't need to wear the masks anymore except for public transport and in the hospitals. And so, of course, I became more like, oh, yeah, well, I don't really want to wear it anymore. Even though before I was very obedient to, to obviously respect the, the rules. And I think it's quite fascinating when when you can observe it in your own behavior or in Sweden where there was never any mask uh, wearing whatsoever and how you so easily come accustomed to it now. In the beginning, I was walking around with my mask making a statement, for example, (laughs) to sort of try to to, um, promote the idea of of it being an important aspect. So I think it's very fascinating to see that happening. It's interesting right now to be making a decision, um, like in in the coffee shop, uh, we walked through the streets without the mask. We walked into the coffee shop, saw that all the people working there were wearing masks. Most of the patrons weren't wearing masks. And I know for me, um, there was a moment where I think I saw you grab your mask <clears throat> and I said to myself, oh, yeah, out of respect to the people that are working here. Right. I'm going to put this mask on right now as I interact with them. Mm. And what's interesting in the long term is that we were wearing the mask in the beginning to protect ourselves and to protect others. We were being obedient. We were doing what we were supposed to do. And now we're actually starting to do this thing as a social statement out of respect of those right. who are wearing the mask. And here I can share another very interesting um, anecdote from Hong Kong. When we arrived in Hong Kong, the Asian population in Hong Kong was wearing masks, but the white people in Hong Kong, they were not. And my family is from China, so I, except for me, um, then I was like, wow, I felt very embarrassed for, for the white people being this I I would say superiority complex. My husband was like, "Oh, maybe they were just not. They didn't have access to ma to 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 masks, um, which were obviously of a shortage." But 
I thought that was very interesting as well. I've had the observation of being in spaces where all the white people, let's say in a workspace, I visited an office a few weeks ago. Um, I walked in with a mask. I noticed that most of the white people were not wearing a mask. Any time I saw a person of color, they were wearing a mask. And so this is in, yeah. in New York. This is in New York. In, in New yeah. York. Um, and I think there's going to be some research to really study what, what's really going on at this point. But I think in, in some instances, um, the person of color is wearing a mask because they are very well aware that people of color um, get this thing and get sicker by this thing. Or at right. least this is what we've been told. Well, there was just a, a research article out that more women... Um, of color were um, were dying during during pregnancy in in the U.S. in comparison to uh, white women. Right. Yeah. And so you know we we I mean as we do the surveys as we do the research and you know you you're a researcher so you do these sorts of things we'll we'll find out about whether the attitudes are about self preservation or are they about social issues are we are we making statements or saying things to each other are the people who are not wearing masks not wearing masks as a form of defiance or they want wearing masks as a form of privilege hmm. um, there are many different things that can be going on there um, but it's as a social scientist and as an observer of what people do this is an interesting for thing for us to look going forward absolutely and it, I, I think you and I raised the important clinical issue that it's going to be important to notice these things as signs or symptoms of pe- of a, a population that is either traumatized or recovering from some sort of post-trauma. Right, right. And I think also to respect what it means on multiple levels, not just this sort of rule obedience of wearing a mask, that there are so many more layers underneath. And the mask is just an example, right? It's not the only example that we can use as a sort of a systematic. Right. F- yeah, it's been one of the more visual ways, but there are other subtle things, social distancing or the distance people are to one another, the exactly. comfort with which people walk through this world, the privileges that some people seem to feel that they have and while other people don't feel that, <clears throat> there is... A lot to, for us to look at going forward here, but I think we probably run out of time for this right, particular right. episode. And we should really consider to continue this conversation. I think it's incredibly important. And I really thank you for, for taking your time to talk with me and talk to the audience about the subtle parts of the pandemic's impact on us. You know, is thinking because I know that you you play this podcast for your your listeners, your viewers. Right. Um, if you were listening to this and you had ideas about something we did or did not talk about, reach out. Right. Reach out. How can they get to you? Yeah, we'll put the contact in the show notes. So thank you so much. Good point. Thank you.